But this morning, we are going to do something very, very different. I didn't want to advertise it, but I wanted us to have a real family conversation about real issues we all face in our real worlds we live in. We have to know how to respond to the culture. We have to know how to respond to the times. And we have to know how to respond to even when the world criminalizes that which you believe and that which we preach and that which we stand for. Question is, are these certain things, what ought we to stand up against, stand for, and when ought we to be vocal over these things? Well, we are vocal over whatever the Bible's vocal over. How's that? We are silent over those things the Bible is silent over. The Bible actually says that judgment begins in the house of God, but to those outside of the house of God, that's not where it starts. And the church needs to be comfortable um, allowing judgment to start in the house of God because what we are about to discuss today, many churches are absolutely guilty of blaspheming our holy God. And that is why we ought to draw lines where those churches who blaspheme God in society because people aren't running to God when, another, when a church starts compromising God's standards. Have you ever realized that you cannot compromise your way into God's will? I'm going to sin my way into God's perfect will for my life. <laughs> How many of you know that your compromise has never brought anybody else to their knees before God in repentance? I have never compromised enough for anybody else to run to Christ. But it's your lack of, your unwillingness to compromise that causes lines to be drawn in the sand and people to go, well, what am I going to do at these crossroads? How do I respond in this society where many churches are starting to call what is wicked, sacred? And they take what is sacred and they call it hatred. And so today we are taking hands with thousands, if not tens of thousands of churches around the USA and Canada as we participate in a nationwide call John MacArthur sent out a few weeks ago to all pastors. And that call was to invite all pastors to take this Sunday, January the 16th, 2022, and preach on the subject of biblical sexuality. Biblical sexuality. This is so that we, as the body of Christ, can put our governments on notice. Making a statement that even if they criminalize portions within scriptures, we cannot, we will never <coughs> comply. It would be an absolute honor to be arrested for the sake of the kingdom. And I think we all should feel that way. Couldn't be a greater example to my children than spending a few days behind bars for standing up for what is right. That would be my honor. And we all should feel the same way. And I don't want to, I want to remind you, the Bible says, visit those in prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make sure to visit. <laughs> and if anything ever happens, remember, don't worry. That's a bad joke. Thank you, Lord, for stopping me. <laughs> 
should I say thank you, Tina? Thank you, Lord, for Tina. She stopped me. <laughs> to give you the backdrop of this urgent call that we are dealing with today, let me read to you a letter that John MacArthur received from a group of pastors in Canada not too long ago. The letter reads this. Oh, here it is. Pastor John, these are pastors in Canada that wrote him a letter. Thank you so much for your willingness to shine a light on the situation here in Canada. and For partnering in calling other men to preach on biblical sexuality on January the 16th. Bill C-4 passed through the House and Senate without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was caused by any member of the Conservative Party. Let me read that again. Not a single dissenting vote was caused by any member of the Conservative Party. It received royal assent on December the 8th, which means it will come into law after January the 8th, 2022. The bill, amend, the bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, and now here's a quote from the bill, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is a nice statement for saying counseling a transgender person into the biblical definition of sexuality. That's conversion therapy. It continues, the bill reads, everyone, now parents, take note, everyone, including you parents, who knowingly causes another person, including your little children, to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, they will be guilty of an in, in, indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes, pastors hear this, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. Yours, Andrew Bartolo, De Bartolo, he's a teaching elder at Encounter Church in Canada. Then uh, John MacArthur responded with this. He says, I am eager to support our Canadian brothers and to preach on biblical sexuality on January the 16th. And I invite you as a faithful pastor to do the same. Our United Stand will put the Canadian and the U.S. governments on notice that they have attacked the word of God. We are all well aware of the evil power and destructive influence of the homosexual and the, and the transgender ideology. Our government is bent on not only normalizing this perversion, but also legalizing it and, and furthermore criminalizing opposition to it. In 2012, California passed Senate Bill 1172 banning gay conversion. In doing this, the California government sought to prohibit any correction of an unbiblical view of sexuality, sexual identity because, quote, California has a compelling interest in protecting the well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals. End quote. And on August the 18th, 2020, the Democratic Party, that's the Blue Party, de declared at the national convention or at their national convention that it would, and I quote, ban harmful conversion therapy practices, end quote. Also, the Obama administration appointed more than 250 LGBTQ plus um, the people to serve in their administration. This was their goal and they reached their goal. It wasn't because they were good at serving society. It was because... They were gay. The Biden administration, our current one, has promised to increase that number, and this is a promise they've actually kept. 
As aggressive as this political priority is to make perversion safe from criticism in the United States, Canada is, is even further ahead of us. Then he says, will you stand with me and our Canadian brothers and, and confront in a spirit of love and mercy the damning sins illegalizing in our culture or legalized in our culture? Pastors, will you join the nationwide effort to preach on a biblical view of sexual morality on January the 16th, 2022, and proclaim the gospel of salvation that is now criminalized? If you will join us, please sign your name below and take a stand for the truth of, saving, of the saving gospel. Sincerely, John MacArthur. And of course, we, Christ Nation, signed it, and uh, we will participate in this call to action. We have a video for you. Thank you, Arne. I want to take just a moment to uh, speak personally to uh, many of you who are pastors across this country and um, in Canada and around the rest of the world. Um, it's about an email that we sent out a couple of weeks ago and kind of resending it with this uh, added video message. Uh, that email indicated that in Canada, a bill was passed, uh, Bill C-4, which essentially made it a felony crime to try to convert someone from homosexuality, uh, from any kind of homosexual lifestyle or any kind of transgender lifestyle with up to five years sentence in jail. This is where the, the homosexual community has gone to this level of extreme. Well, that law goes into effect on January 8th. And some of my friends who are pastors in Canada said they want to take a stand all across Canada. That law goes into effect on the 8th. So the following Sunday, which would be the 16th of January, just a couple of weeks from now, many pastors in Canada are going to stand up in their pulpits and preach biblical sexual morality. This is critical, obviously, because people need to be converted from that sin. They need to come to Christ for not only deliverance from sexual deviation, but from sin and death and judgment and hell. So they want to take a bold stand as pastors against the law that their government has passed. And uh, James Coates and some other pastors asked if I would stand with them. And I said, absolutely. So on the 16th, I'm going to be preaching on what the Bible says about homosexuality and what the Bible says about biblical morality. And I'm calling on pastors all across this country and anywhere else in the world to take the 16th of January and focus on this issue of biblical sexual morality and define what the Bible says about God's design for a man and a woman and their sexual identity and the relationship that marriage has been designed by God to fulfill. And we know it's exclusive. God doesn't allow for anything other than one man, one woman in marriage coming together in a sexual relationship. So I think we have to throw down the gauntlet. I think we have to take a stand. And January 16th is going to be the day that we'll, we'll see how much we can accomplish if we all get together on that same Sunday. Hope you'll join us. Sexuality and marriage is a gospel issue, is a gospel issue. And that's why this is not something that can be ignored, overlooked, winked at, or trivialized. 
You cannot get biblical sexuality and marriage wrong while at the same time getting the gospel right. It's impossible. If you get marriage and biblical sexuality wrong, it is a sign that you do not understand the gospel. Many mainline denominations today is very evident that they have lost the gospel completely. The fact that they cannot define biblical sexuality and marriage as God has done it is proof of the fact that they no longer have the gospel. You see, the Bible begins with a marriage. God describes His relationship with Israel as a marriage. Jesus' first miracle takes place as a wedding. Jesus' relationship to His church is defined in terms of a marriage. History ends with a marriage supper of the Lamb. Clearly, the Bible begins, develops, and ends with God's design of marriage and sexuality. And therefore, cannot be understood without seeing marriage and sexuality from God's perspective. The logical conclusion here is, if you do not understand marriage and biblical sexuality, you miss the key, the very key of grasping God's purpose for the universe. Biblical marriage and biblical sexuality is how God builds His kingdom here on earth. Did He not say, go and multiply, be fruitful and multiply? What was He saying? Plant more grain? No. <laughs> Have more children. This is why the Bible is super abundantly clear on the very design of a male and a female. No confusion there in the Bible. And how one male and one female come together as one in marriage. And so they can go forth, they can be fruitful, and they can multiply and so obey the very first command ever given to man. Any deviation from this is always a sin before God and must be judged by God Himself. Why? Because God is a just judge and cannot leave sin unpunished. The reason there's so much confusion in this area right here is because men will do what they have to do in order to reject God's rule over them. Genesis, so any deviation from this is always a sin. Genesis 1.27, Bible says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, he created them. So, a man and a woman together produces an image of God. And to distort that is to distort God's image. And when you create an image outside of God that you conform yourself to or that you bow to or that you become, this is the epitome of idol worship. Uh, let me just say clearly that sexual dysphoria, or gender dysphoria, excuse me, is idol worship. Did you get that? I just want to make sure that we are clear because we don't have to explain it again. But a man and a woman was made in the image of God. God's image is expressed by both male and female genders as God created them. But to tamper with that is to recreate the image of God. And when you recreate the image of God, you have created for yourself an idol. 
and now you are guilty of idol worship. This is why it is a sin. But beyond just having the wrong image of God, it is because they defy God's laws, that too makes it a sin. Genesis 5.2 says the same thing. He created them male and female and blessed them and named them mankind. Matthew 19.4 says, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's how God made them. Deviating from God's design is rebelling against God. It's rebelling against, rebelling against His will. It's rebelling against His purpose. It's rebelling against His design. In the preamble of this Bill C-4, it says that they just passed in Canada, preferring the gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth over other sexual orientations and other gender expressions is a myth. End quote. They are saying it is a myth to claim that a boy is a boy because he was born a boy. It's a myth to say she's a girl because she was born as a girl. That is a myth. The truth is what they've decided about themselves. That is the truth. In other words, the Canadian government has now officially declared God's design of genders affirmed by biology and science to be a myth. It says it right there in the preamble. I'll read it to you again. Preferring the gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth over other sexual orientations is a myth. So let's ask the question, what are the sexual parameters God sets out for His church? We have to know these things. We have to know these things. Because every time you hear a Christian being interviewed, especially celebrity Christians and musicians, which by the way, we need to, we need to quit these Christian musicians. Sick and tired of them. They know no Bible. They are not regenerate. With the exception of people like Skillet maybe. But for the most part, they, they're, just a bunch, they're just a bunch of unregenerate fame seekers. Stop buying their stuff. We have to know how to answer this because it doesn't matter when you listen to anybody on mainstream media regarding sexuality, they will give you the wrong answer. Unless it's somebody like a John MacArthur or a Doug Wilson. So what are the sexual parameters God sets out for His church? Let's look into it. The Bible gives us great clarity. Leviticus 18, 23. Now, when I read this, realize this. As a premise, I am not writing any opinions here. I am not offering my thoughts I am not judging anyone because I've had, I've had enough arguments whenever I've brought up a scripture, somebody wants to start hating on me for judging. I'm like, how did I just judge anybody by reading them a scripture from the Bible? I didn't judge them. Your problem's not with me. Your problem is with whoever wrote that, right? That's who you have a problem with. I am not standing in judgment over anybody. I'm just saying to everybody, 
just as they have their rights to believe whatever they read, I have my rights to believe whatever I read. They can make whatever decision they want to make, literally. If they want to live, I don't care how they want to live. They can live any which way they want. They cannot come in here and tell me that I cannot believe this. They may not come, and they're not telling us, or they're going to tell us, but it wouldn't matter if they did. This is not a criminalized book. Western society was built on it. Now you want to criminalize your own foundations. How foolish could this possibly be? So me reading this, I'm not reading this in bad faith or anything. I'm not vengeful. People can do whatever they want. But this is what God has called us to submit ourselves to. Leviticus 18, 22, 23. You shall not sleep with a male as one sleeps with a female. It is a abomination. Also, you shall not have sexual intercourse with any animal. So it puts it right there then. You should not have sexual intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. All right. Leviticus 20.13 says, If there is a man who sleeps with a male as those who sleep with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, then it continues to say that they should be done away with. In Romans 1 verse 27, the Bible says, In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committing, committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error, whether it be in this life or the next. 1 Timothy 1 verse 9 through 10. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and for the rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that the law is there to confront the ungodly, the unrighteous, the rebel. The law is there to confront those. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, also for the sexually immoral, for those practicing what? Homosexuality. Okay. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I'm just reading to you one, two, three, four, five out of many verses. I'm reading to you five verses that are currently, guess what? Criminalized in Canada and have gone through a process of criminalizing it in California. Of course, it's going to be here too. So I'm reading to you, and I'm saying things that causes me now to break the law of the land. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor the verbal abusers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't. Such were some of you. Watch this. This is wonderful. Because when you look at that list, you go like, ooh, that was me. Ooh, that was me. You know, thieves, greedy, habitually drunk, and just perversions. It says, such were some of you. But you, you in Christ, you were washed. Past tense. That wonderful news? Amen. You in Christ were washed. 
but you were past tense sanctified. But you were past tense 2,000 years ago justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Now somebody, whenever you read this, somebody immediately goes, <clears throat> well, Jacques, there you go again. Out of all the sins, you point to the sin of homosexuality. That's all you care about. You don't care about the adulterers in your congregation. You don't care about people fornicating. You don't bring that up as a sin that needs to be repented from. Well, I'm on the record for calling those people to repentance. If you want to accuse anybody, accuse Joel Osteen of not speaking about sin and not calling people to repentance. Of course I do. However, I want to answer that very specific question with a question to clarify something. To anybody out there that's saying, Jacques, there you go. You trivialize all sin, but you always put the sin of homosexuality, which is equal to all other sins, under a microscope. Why would you have such a big... Be there you go again, talking about it again. So I want to answer that question just to clarify as to why this issue becomes a grave sin, a grave sin in our society, in our culture, in our, in our church. Here's the question. How is gender dysphoria and LGBTQ treating the church different? How are they treating the church different than those committing adultery and fornication in the church? How are they treating us different? Because we're calling them all to repentance. If you don't repent from this, there's no possible sign that you truly regenerated. Because remember, you are saved in three time zones. You are, you are saved in the past, you are saved in the present, you are saved in the future. You were justified. You are being sanctified. You will one day on that great day be glorified. The only possible proof you have today that you were justified 2,000 years ago is because you are being sanctified today. Salvation happens all together at the same time. The moment God saves you, He starts sanctifying you throughout your life until you're glorified with Christ in heaven. So the only possible sign you have that you were justified is because you are being sanctified. Is God currently working in your life sanctifying you from the old man? And your old ways. Is God currently bringing you out of your past? That's the question. And are you conforming to His image consistently? This is the problem with those preachers who preach against repentance. They, have, they start off on the wrong basis. They have no understanding of actual regeneration. Regeneration is the moment God starts sanctifying you and turning you into something that, uh, a creature that glorifies Him more and more and more and more. And that's the only proof you have that you are in fact saved. Are you all with me? Okay, so here we go. How is gender dysphoria and LGBTQ treating the church different than adultery and fornicator? Well, let me ask you this question. Is there a person in Congress, in the U.S. Congress today, attempting to pass a law requiring all churches to normalize adultery? Is there a bill trying to normalize adultery? No. Is there a bill being pushed through our Congress criminalizing anybody who might offer rehabilitation to an adulterer? 
No. Is there anybody that feels adultery is not a sin? I mean, even the view would agree with you that adultery is a sin. And if they will agree with you on something, you know, the lowest level of society believes that. The most immoral of all believe that. And they believe adultery is a sin. So would you say that adulterers are twisting the church's arm to try and change God's standards regarding adultery? No. No. Do we all believe adultery is a sin? Yes. Is fornication a sin? Adultery is having a sexual relationship outside of a marriage union. Fornication is having sexual relationships outside of marriage. Nobody is attempting to force you and me to see adultery as true love and to affirm adultery as God's will for them. I'm completely free to preach on sin, the sin of adultery. All pastors around the country is free. Those in Canada are free to preach against the sin of adultery and the sin of fornication without any backlash from society. But that is not the case when it comes to LGBT and gender dysphoria. The world believes those sexual deviants or deviant acts, excuse me, are affirmed by God. They believe that that's affirmed by God and that the church is supposed to teach from their pulpits that God accepts, validates, celebrates those sexual deviations as part of His design, part of His will. You see, churches who validate same-sex marriages and transgenderism and gender dysphoria are actively blaspheming our God. Actively blaspheming our God. When I drive home, I drive past about 12 churches. Half of them have the rainbow flag because they believe in Noah, you see. Of course not. <laughs> they love that story. Looks like they preach on that story every Sunday. And I go, God, why can these churches have buildings? No, we ought to have a building, right? One day we're buying up all those buildings, okay? Put them out of business because that's all they're in, political business. Every time you see that, point to it and you can say very confidently, that is active, active blasphemy against God today. I have this friend on Facebook and... Um, Used to go to school with him in elementary school. But um, we have since become as far as the east is from the west, as far as everything we view and uh, how we view life. And, um, and I never say anything about anything he says. I mean, <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of differences is just uh, almost 100%. So, but when he posts something about scriptures where he is twisting God's what God is actually saying, I respond. I'm like, by the way, that's not what the Bible says. Oh my goodness, yeah, okay. It's like somebody poured gasoline on my computer and set it on fire, right? <laughs> For those of you that have come a, come a long time with us, um, that have been with us over the last uh, more, than, more than 10 years, um, I mean, there are people that, that, that I used to pastor in a, in a youth group that today, um, you know, girls 
some of those girls are now guys. And God knows, don't you call them by the name that you've known them for 40 years by, you know? No, 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 you call them by their new name. Otherwise, gasoline on your, on your computer and just light it on fire because that's how it is. Man, are they thin-skinned and quickly offended? Can they melt down over a disagreement? So I was just wondering how to let this guy know. Have you noticed that you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want? I have no problem. But if you lie about the one that, that owns me, how am I supposed to be silent? See, John Calvin said it this way, even the dog barks when his owner is assailed, attacked. Even the dog barks when somebody wants to attack his owner. And, and yet, the church, not only is the church silent on, on these issues where they, where they criminalize God. No, 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 no. They try and make a way to agree with the fact that God is possibly wrong. And this is an evil sin, and, and, and the consequences in the Bible for these sins are horrific. Go read through Romans chapter 1. You'll see that there's always first, when people start doing this, you will find three steps. The first step is there will be a sexual revolution. The second step is there will be a homosexual revolution. And the third step is there will be dysfunctional thought, inability to think logically or critically about anything. Those are three wraths listed and identified in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God, which is called the wrath of abandonment. It's not God. It's not God entering the chambers of somebody's heart and creating fresh evil. God never does that. He doesn't make anybody evil. Couldn't do it. He himself is not. But what he does, and he doesn't go into the chambers of their heart and create fresh evil. He stands back and, and allow themselves to give themselves to the evil that they have chosen. It's called the wrath of abandonment. So God can preserve, 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 and then he goes, that's it, I'm done. Steps back, and they jump over the cliff, the, the cliff of morality. You see? And the one sign that you will find throughout scriptures is that when God judges a nation, He raises up wicked rulers and blind judges, always. Wicked rulers that oppress the people in a tyrannical way and blind judges throughout scriptures from cover to cover. So if you want to ask if a nation's under the wrath of God, there are those three steps. There's a sexual revolution, which we had in the 60s. There's a homosexual revolution, which, which we had over the last 20 years. And then, thirdly, there is what's called depraved thinking or backwards thinking. What is right is wrong, and what is wrong is viewed as right. And the proof of the fact that God has judged a nation is because Wicked rulers have been placed in office and blind judges are trying to rule between right and wrong. Here is a definition of blasphemy. 
calling good evil and evil good, attributing to God, attributing to God what Satan has done and created, the works of the devil, attributing it to God, or attributing to Satan God's works. This is why the Pharisees said Jesus was blaspheming when he said he was God, because they said, no, he was demon-possessed, and he said, I am. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot attribute to God who, who belo what belongs to Satan. Can you see that? So, family, I'm very urgent that we don't commit the sin of blasphemy in our church, individually and corporately. You may not. Now, Jordan Peterson is not a Christian. Looks like he's becoming one. But he did make the statement that I thought was very powerful. If you have something to say, if you have something to say, silence becomes a lie. You're lying by being silent. If, if somebody assails the owner, if that dog does not start barking, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you would start wondering, is that really even that owner's dog? So attributing to God the things that Satan has done and attributing to the Satan the things God has decided on. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to them who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Again, the churches who validate same-sex marriages, transgenderism, and gender dysphoria are actively blaspheming God, and that is what you need to call out every time you drive past a church with a, that you can see um, loves the story of Noah. Another question is, why do, why do Bible Christians believe, or why do Bible Christians not believe, excuse me, that practicing, the practicing homosexual actually loves his partner? Because this is the argument that always comes my way, and trust me, we have very close friends and family who we love dearly and deeply and uh, that that we speak to over this very issue somebody said i wish i really hope one of your family members turn out that way I'm like how would it change anything i didn't write the bible therefore i cannot edit it god has already said what he said and i cannot make God say something else without me myself damning, damning myself. So yes, it's not like we are unfamiliar with how close to home this is. But the question that they always come down to is like, yeah, well, it's love and God is love. It's love and God is love, therefore it cannot be judged. So why do Bible Christians not believe that the practicing homosexual actually loves the person he's in a relationship with? Well, let me explain it to you. You see, the biblical definition of love does not affirm homosexual love as love. It doesn't, it, it doesn't affirm that as love, but rather as hate. Please, hear me out. Two people of the same sex may have attraction for one another and may have affection for one another and may have feelings for one another, but the Bible does not define love in those terms. The Bible does not define love in attraction, in feelings, or affections. It does, that is not how it defines love. You see, two, the, the, the question the one should rather ask is, 
in this regard to does he love him? Those two that are in a relationship. Uh, we say, no, that is not love. That is hate. And here's why. The question that we should rather ask is, can a man who claims to love another man continue in that homosexual relationship knowing that his sexual relationship is storing up God's wrath against the one he says he loves? Did you follow? Can this guy claim that he loves that guy he's in a relationship with? Knowing, knowing that the very relationship they have is storing up, storing up, storing up more and more and more of God's wrath against that person you claim to love. I hate correcting my children with a rod. I hate doing that. But I do that because I love and I want to make sure the wrath of God is not stored up upon them. Right? Drive foolishness from their hearts. Clear their conscience. Romans 2 verse 5 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Read it again. <laughs> All of us who come out of the word faith movement go like, What? Who added that to my Bible? God doesn't do this kind of stuff. Well, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's judgment, when the righteous judgment will be revealed. That is what unrepentant sin accomplishes, folks. You and I need to get out of sin if we are. Because it stores up wrath upon wrath upon wrath day after day until suddenly the great day of the Lord arrives and there we stand before Him. Then what? Then what? So no, no, the answer is no. Never will a person who truly loves another involve the one they love in a sin that accumulates God's wrath against them. Instead, true love is sacrificial. That is the terms within the Bible, which the Bible de declares love to be. Sacrificial. Not a feeling. Not affection. Not attraction. Sacrifice. So why don't, so let me say it this way. True love would say, since I know this sin we are committing is storing up God's wrath against you, I choose to repent and turn around, even if it is for your sake alone and not mine. So the question is, of course, you couldn't do that if you really loved the person. You could only do that if you really loved the person. But if you only love self, you would never walk away. And that is the problem. Self-love. Why? Well, let's come full circle. Because remember, it is idol worship. <laughs> that is why it's self-love. Because it is actual idol worship. It's when God created male and female in His image together, they reflect His image. But to destroy that is to destroy God's image and create another one, which is the definition of idol worship. And anybody involved with that kind of idol worship loves self, loves their idol. The next question, which is important, is what is the foundational sin committed by those who support gender dysphoria and LGBTQ+. What is the foundational sin committed? Now, that sin gives birth to many sins, right? But what is the most foundational sin in 
the sin of this gender dysphoria category? Well, because the sin is that they put God. I want to make sure you get this. What is the foundational sin committed by those who support? Can everybody please say support? Okay, that includes, you know, all these Christian artists. Some of them are pretty and they have beautiful voices. Doesn't matter. But what is the sin of Lauren Daigle, Joel Osteen, and the rest who cannot say that this is sinful? What is their sin for supporting this? Right? Well, their sin, brother and sister in Christ, and yours if you support any of this, because, you know, I know some of them and they're wonderful people. What is the sin of the person that supports that? Well, the sin of that person is that they put God on trial and then enthrone themselves as judge over God. That's exactly what that is. They put in God's words that I read earlier to you. Remember I read those five verses that are now criminalized in Canada? They put God's voice on trial and they elevate themselves as judge over that. They are presiding over whether God is now just or unjust, right or wrong, good or evil. And now they're criminalizing God. And Christians, churches, are absolutely supporting it. Because they themselves are judging God. They look at the scripture and judge. They judge those verses as hateful. While judging their own decisions as righteous and loving. Caring, compassionate. They look at scriptures and deem themselves more loving than God, making themselves more compassionate and more caring than God, and thus greater than God. Again, that is idol worship, and that's why it unfolds the way it does, because it starts with worshiping an image other than God's. It is a sin to stand in judgment over God, folks. You can't walk away from the truth. It is a sin to stand in judgment over God. If God says something is wrong and you go like, well... What do you say? I'm like, are you kidding me? I agree with God. Yeah, well, hey, deal with it. He's God. This is the problem. Nobody sees him as God anymore. Oh, he's God, but not sovereign. Oh, he's God, but he doesn't rule. Satan's ruling. No, you can't do that. This is where this is birthed from. God is God, which makes him almighty. He is the uncreated creator. He is outside of creation. He is not part of creation. Cannot be judged by what he created. He is God. Always has been, always will be everywhere from eternity to eternity. And this concept, this idea that he's not God right now because Satan's rule. No. Satan is God's devil. Can't walk away from that fact. Only if you don't read the Bible can you conclude that Satan rules. And you have all these verses that are coming to mind. But you have to read those verses the right way. Look at how God rebukes Job for questioning God's justice. In Job 40 verse 6 he says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I mean now, this is in, verse, this is in chapter 40 
already. Job loses everything. And then the arguments start between him and his three friends and even his wife. And then the fourth guy shows up, Elihu, who's the youngest of them. And he doesn't get rebuked by God because he says some really great things. He goes, how dare you judge God, Job? This is your sin. And the whole word faith movement goes, no, it's because he feared something and it came upon him. Give me a break. Throughout Job, the whole book of Job, how many of you are doing Woman of the Word with Tina? Yeah, you read through the book of Job. It's as clear as daylight. His sin is that he kept on saying, God, I am righteous. God, I am right. God, how, why, are you, why are you doing this? How is, how is this just God? And God says, wait a minute. Are you judging me, thinking that I will do something that's unjust? That's what he's saying right here. Job 40 verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. And you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice, Job? Will you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Would you condemn me so that you can justify yourself? Again, listen. Would you condemn me, Job, so that you can justify yourself? In other words, when I judge something is good, or when I declare something is evil, how dare you, O oh man, question my judgment? If I say it's evil, it's evil. And when I judge, I judge righteously, always. Would you judge me as a liar and yourself as the honest and truthful one? Would you demand that you know what it means to love and I don't? If I tell you that is an abomination, don't you come and tell me it's love. That's what he's saying. He's saying, how, how, would you condemn me so you can be justified in your sin? That's exactly what's happening in the world today. Would you condemn me for saying what's right and wrong just so that you can justify your sin? You see, the foundational sin committed by those who support gender dysphoria and LGBTQ plus is that they've elevated themselves judge over God. It is the absolute ultimate uh, um, epitome of hubris. This is what Lucifer sinned. This is the sin of Lucifer cost, that got him cast out. The current state of our society is declining. But that doesn't mean I'm not hopeful. You see, the meaning of the rainbow in society today, which is obviously hijacked and now means God loves the LGBTQ and somehow he will never judge people again no matter how unrepentant they might be, you cannot judge them again because of the rainbow, remember? The meaning of the gospel has been hijacked in society. It's no longer the good news that we are saved from in, in us. It's no longer the good news that we are saved from our sins now that we are in Christ. But the good news is now the social gospel used as a political tool. That's now the good news. The gospel coalition, all these people, I mean, go and look it up, my goodness. Are they losing the gospel and are they losing it fast? Christianity has been hijacked in our society. It's no longer an ancient biblical, biblical faith, but has now been reframed as a progressive Christianity. You see? Embracing secular demands. I, I want to give you some examples just to show you. 
And then I want to conclude with how we as a church respond. You see, the church has become so progressive, you can now be anything and call yourself a Christian, of course. You've seen that. You can, be, you can now be anything you want and still be accepted by today's Christian community. Don't think because Caleb agrees to something that it's scriptural, biblical, or even Christian at all. And they're not the worst. They're one of the better ones. However, the moment you point to the Bible verse that is, that is unacceptable to modern-day society, they, these Christians, will question your Christianity for pointing out a verse. You're the one that's no longer a Christian. <clears throat> Here's an example of that. I want, I want Han to play this video for you, um, just to let you know that this is a Christian artist, gospel Christian artist on the Christian charts and hit the number one spot. He happens to be, or she happens to be openly gay. Go ahead. If you recently looked toward the top of the iTunes Christian music charts, you might have seen an album titled Preacher's Kid, which seems to fit right in with all the other music in the genre. But you'll also see something surprising, a parental advisory for explicit lyrics. And what you'll hear is a message about faith told through the voice of a queer artist named Semler. I spoke with the singer. They hope more LGBTQ representation in the genre will change hearts and minds. Semler Baldridge is quickly rising to the top of the Christian music scene, even spending a few days in the top spot on the iTunes Christian chart. The album Preacher's Kid is Semler's debut, a labor of love written entirely during the pandemic. I would describe it as a quarantine baby. I had a bunch of thoughts. I wanted to get things out of my system. So it sounds kind of grungy. It's like acoustic grunge um, in a God-honoring way, I guess. <laughs> it's not your typical Christian album. Semler's faith is explored with a lot of honesty and the occasional curse word. I know many of the, the most Christ-like people have thrown down a holy F-bomb now and again. Your album is called Preacher's Kid. Are you a preacher's kid? I am indeed. I, my dad is an Episcopal priest. I grew up in the rectory. Um, I played a lot of pranks around the church growing up. That was very much my upbringing. Well, dad was welcoming and accepting when Semler came out. Others were not. The artist was exposed to anti-LGBTQ attitude to church camps and mission trips. Struggles illustrate. We've lost the meaning of the rainbow. We've lost the meaning of gospel. It is now social gospel. We've lost the meaning of um, Christianity to progressive Christianity. I looked up all the Christian artists who support this one. And um, yeah, I'm shocked. I'm literally shocked. I do not want my kids listening to Christian artists. Really, I don't. For the same reason, I don't really want my, my, my kids in Christian schools because they're in a Christian school with a bunch of unregenerate kids who are basically making them think that, I guess we're all Christians. You live comfortably in your sin, certainly don't love the Lord, and you're a Christian, so I guess it's okay to be that way in a Christian. 
So there's a confusion that happens there when they're much younger. And in the same way, you know, how many girls do you think started feeling the same way Lauren felt when she started making her, you know, non her, her claims that she, I just don't know. I just don't know what the Bible says. I don't know what the Bible says. No, the Bible's clear. You just don't know the Bible because you aren't regenerate to start off with. Great voice, pretty face. Not Christian. Even the dog barks. I'm going to play another video which is a little closer to home. Another example of just how out of hand this evil has become in our churches. <clears throat> this video is by Matt Walsh, and um, it's about a pastor who was ordained right here in Chicago, downtown, north, north I think just north of the river, uh, in a Lutheran church, who's also, this pastor is now also a drag queen, of course, and you won't see flesh or anything, but I think that this is important for us to teach, um, to see where we're at. Go ahead. The Post-Millennial reports this. It says a Lutheran pastor in Chicago offered drag prayer time for children. Aaron Musser, who was ordained this summer, donned a blonde wig, white dress, and makeup to share in worship with the children in his parish. This is St. Luke's Lutheran Church of Logan Square. And they publicized the event on Facebook. They were very proud of it. Um, let's, um, let's take a look at some of this. Go ahead and play. So with many other exhortations... John proclaimed the good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and I'd like to invite any children or people who would like to see a picture book that I will be showing on the iPad here. Anyone who'd like a closer view of that to come up and sit. Um, come up and sit somewhere on the ground here. I have an awesome story to share with you today. I'm really excited to share it with you. I have a question first though. Have any of you ever seen a drag queen? No. No, is this so is it everybody's first time they're ever seeing a drag queen? Well, hello. Um, I am also a boy most of the time when I'm here, but today I today. Yes, beautiful. So the story that I want to share with you today is called Joy. Okay. No surprise there. Female pastors of the church. You got two female pastors and a guy in drag. And um, that's what's going on at that Lutheran church. Beautiful building. <laughs> no gospel. <laughs> Only perversion, right? I really believe that God has, God is up to something very interesting right here in Chicago. Because I'm still trying to find voices that would actually be outspoken on these issues. I'm looking for voices that will open up the Bible and say, hey, um, apparently you're an abomination. <laughs> so, you know. And by the way, I'm going to teach my kids that you are, just so you know. It's very important that we do. The only way to keep somebody's purity is teach them, be the first one to teach them about an evil and why God says it's evil. The way somebody loses their purity is when, well, let me say it this way. I can, I can protect my children's purity by exposing them to abomination and tell them that God says it's an abomination and that they will receive their due punishment for it. But 
if I allow that guy to teach my children on that same sin, they have lost their innocence. That's how innocence is gone. Being, being uh, made aware of sins by the one who believes it's not a sin. The question these people cannot answer is this. At what point does any of this become immoral? Really? At what point does any of this become immoral in their view? How deviant must something become before something becomes unacceptable at the point of beast, even to the point of bestiality? I would love to ask our politicians that. I would love to ask those who unanimously voted on the bill C4, at what point does something become unacceptable to you? They have no answer. Who decides that? Well, they defy the idea of accepting biblical moral codes. They absolutely reject the idea that the Bible gets to establish what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is moral, what is immoral. However, if everyone is based on, if everything is based on relativism, which it is in their minds, then anything can be acceptable, right? I mean, if they have even thought through the idea that anybody who calls themselves bisexual has to be in a marriage made up of more than two people. You can't be bisexual and be married to any one individual, right? To be bisexual means you have to be married to two different genders in order to qualify as that. Have you ever thought through that? But can you see what I'm saying? They haven't thought through it. Oh, no, you can only be married to one person. No, you, not, in your, not in your theory, no. Is bestiality wrong? Is child intimacy wrong? Well, yeah. No, it's not. Not, not, in, not in your theology. Because in your theology, whatever a person decides as love is therefore acceptable and holy. This bill, C4, that criminalizes conversion therapy is an outright war on God. Man cannot strike at God and pull him off of his heavenly throne. It's impossible. They can't find Jesus. They can't find God, his throne, and they can't make war against him that way. Therefore, to strike at God, man strikes at God's image bearers. That's the only way to get at God is to get to you, to get to man. Karl Marx understood this very clearly. He said, and I quote, The key to the Holy Family, it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The key to the Holy Family is the earthly family. And to destroy the former, you must destroy the latter in theory and in practice. He was bent on destroying the nuclear family. And they've been very successful in doing that in the United States. So tonight, today, I'm asking you to pray for our pastors, pray for our churches, pray for our government. Because where is our hope in all of this? Where is our hope as a local church right here in northwestern suburbs? Well, I do believe God is creating a community, and I know that people's value systems are changing. For instance, people used to live in certain areas, counties and cities, because friends and family live there. They will purchase in a certain area because there are good schools there. And they, will, they will go and settle somewhere because they, that's where their employment is or access to their employment. They'll settle somewhere because there are safe neighborhoods. Security is found there. 
They will settle somewhere because property evaluation and projected evaluation in the future. Uh, they have accessibility to stores and to hospitals and so forth. And they, those are the reasons why, those were the values people had as in deciding their life. But friends, I'm telling you, the emerging value system has started shifting. People are now prioritizing security, of course, but they've they started prioritizing community with a, with a, with a regenerated community with church family. But I'm saying real church family. Those who are cut from the same cloth believe the same. People are starting to choose family and not just blood family. Selective schooling has become an issue. Homeschooling before, before the pandemic was 2% of the United States. Currently, it's 11.5%. Values are changing. It's changing drastically. And know this, that... If you have something to say, silence becomes a lie. God's given you a family, family that sticks closer than a brother, a family around which you can unite. Unity in the church is the biggest lie. Unity around God's truth is the most important thing. It's like saying, hey, unity is the most important thing. Let's all unite around this, around this goal. All right, let's unite around this goal because everybody, everybody values unity, right? Unity is important. That's what's important, unity. Let's stop being so divided. Let's unite. Well, how about we all unite around this idea of becoming bank robbers? That's unity. Bank robbers are very united. Unity is not a divine concept, right? Other than unity around God's truth. And that is why... Church families, communities are being built all around the country. Tina and I were privileged to go up with the kids to uh, Moscow, Idaho. And one of the first things I realized, like in one year, but I heard one year, 200 families from around the country just moved there. That year was last year. People's values are shifting, moving out of certain states to other states, looking to find what I believe God is building here. Let's pray. Father, today, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is normalcy. Everything else is insanity. Your word is truth. Everything else is a lie. Your word is righteous. Everything opposing it is unrighteous. Your word is holy. Heaven and earth will pass away. Your word will remain. Lord, we've counted an honor and a privilege to be called by you into a dark place and to hold onto a light, your light. We don't produce it. We only reflect it. Lord, we submit ourselves to your word. That's the only possible way we know we are submitted to you. We love your word, Father. That's why we will never be offended. Psalm 119 verse 165. We are unoffended in this offended world. Thank you, Lord, that we can be free, that we are free because we answer to you ultimately. Lord, I pray that you work in the hearts of our leaders, that you work in our government, that you give us as much freedom as you deem fit. 
But I pray, Father God, for our children. I pray, Father God, that you will raise them in your word, that you will pour the fear of the Lord in their hearts, and that they will live wisely in this foolish world in Jesus' name.